Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today is former Commodore basketball great Will Purdue, who also won world titles with the Chicago Bulls. Will and I talked at the end a lot about his Vanderbilt career, but mostly about the state of Vanderbilt athletics. Will has some very strong opinions on that. I think you'll be interested in hearing those. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. Wellspire offers personal and professional development opportunities in a beautiful facility in the Gulch neighborhood. Stop by for an event with world-renowned speakers or host an off-site event that will wow your team or your clients. We also thank the Well Coffee House, our other co-presenting sponsor, which turns coffee into water and has a mission to bring clean water to the world. Today's news presented by Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. The men's basketball team closes conference play at home against South Carolina. Tip-off 1130 Central on Saturday in Memorial Gym. Will Purdue appears on the guest line. That is presented to you by Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no idea what I was missing until I got Bowling Branch sheets. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them for a month. You can return them for free, but you want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. And enter the promo code Vandy to get $50 off your first set of sheets. Will Purdue joins us now, and if you were listening to this podcast, he probably needs no introduction, but just in case, Will, of course, was an All-American at Vanderbilt. He graduated with a degree in communication, not communications, but communication. He is now an analyst for NBC Sports. Uh, He also works for Westwood One. You will hear him quite often during March Madness. Will, thank you for joining us today. I hope you're doing well. Uh, Chris, I am. I was uh, looking forward to being on your podcast. I've listened quite a bit. And I listened to your slot with George Plaster the other day. We've talked uh, several times off the record in the last few weeks, and I appreciate you reaching out to me. You are one of a number of former athletes I have heard from recently, and I think there's a common theme to all of you. You're just so frustrated with the direction of Vanderbilt Athletics. And that I am. And, but let me make it very clear here. This is going to take a minute. You know, I've been very fortunate to figure out how to get through Vanderbilt. Very fortunate that I had coaches like CM Newton and John Bostick and especially Ed Martin, who, you know, became my mentor and took me under his wing when I was at Vanderbilt. And not only you know, helped me get through Vanderbilt, but prepared me for the NBA, but also prepared me, prepared me for life. But for those that always wondered why they haven't seen more of me, heard more from me, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, you know, when I finished playing, I tried to make a decision. Okay. Now, now that my career is, Oh, which direction do I want to go? And I actually have put my Vanderbilt degree to work by getting into broadcasting. But at the same time, I wanted more because as enjoyable as broadcasting is, 
And it's a little bit of a challenge. You have to invest time, but you always ask yourself, you know, what kind of impact am I having um, on a daily basis in other people's lives? I understand I'm providing a method of entertainment, but I also feel like I, I, it's a requirement of me being a former Vanderbilt athlete to find a way to give back, especially to the Vanderbilt community. But I also felt like it's just, I can easily write a check, but I think it would be more productive if I did something else. So I can remember my first meeting with Turner. He gave me a a tour of the the new practice facility. Remember Todd Turner, the old athletic director? Give me a tour of the practice facility. We sat in the lobby area. Um, and he asked about, you know, what is it that uh, I was so adamant about why I had to meet with him? And I told him the same thing I just told you, you know, I, I, I want to be able to be involved with Vanderbilt for the rest of my life. I want to be able to give back to the university, but I just don't want to do it in a, in a monetary means. Hey, let me just write a check. And I explained to him, I said, I would love to work in the athletic department in a multi-purpose role. I just don't want to be a fundraiser, but I would love to help out with fundraising because we all know that's a huge area where Vanderbilt is lacking. Uh, I also want to help be the face of the athletic department. Um, You know, I would like to be a liaison between the athletic department and Nashville. I came up with all these, these things that I felt like I could do. And I also said, this isn't going to be free either. I want us to decide on a salary. And, but to make it a win-win situation, that salary that I make would then be turned around and donated to Vanderbilt to help, to, to help create the Will Purdue Scholarship. And most notably, probably use it for basketball or, or something that, we, that both sides could agree on. And Todd Turner was really excited. He goes, that is great to hear. He goes, I got to run this up the flagpole. I got to talk to some people and I'll get back to you. You That's, that's, you know, kind of the general plan and discussion that we had. There were obviously more nuts and bolts involved, but that's kind of the direction that we went. So I laid it out, told them what I wanted to do. And I thought that would give me the ability to also continue to be in broadcasting. But at the same time, when I'm doing a game in Los Angeles, when I'm doing a game in Oklahoma city, when I'm doing a game in Boston, that at the same time, why I'm there, you know, I could do two, one, my job, but two, at the same time, stay over and, and meet with alumni in Boston, meet with alumni in Los Angeles, meet with alumni in Oklahoma city, Denver, wherever I may be that weekend to do an NBA game for ESPN radio. But then Todd Turner got back to me and he said, well, unfortunately I got some bad news. We just can't make it work out. And I was dumbfounded. Like, what do you mean we can't make this work out? I mean, I was basically asking to be an ambassador for the university, but at the same time, not just go to, sporting events and smile and sign autographs. 
I actually wanted to get involved with the athletic department. I wanted to help out. I wanted to make a difference. But he just said, I can't really get into detail. Unfortunately, this is just something that we can't do. And he really wouldn't explain it to me. He left it. He just kind of left it at that. And he apologized profusely. And he just said, I'm so sorry, but it's just not going to work out. And I was dumbfounded. I was aggravated. Quite honestly, I was pissed off. And I really didn't know how to react. I thought this was a no-brainer. And um, I just kind of, you know, I, I don't know if you want to say I stumbled away, walked away. But I was just like, I don't understand. I said, you guys certainly don't have any problem constantly sending me stuff in the mail asking for donations. I'm asking to donate my time, my name, my face, but to, to be an integral part of this athletic department. I'm not asking to make decisions on coaches and hirings and firings and stuff like that, but, you know, get down to the nitty gritty and, and make a change for the good. So I don't know who told him he couldn't do it, but he, he was very clear that this is not my decision. I thought it was a great idea. I didn't think there would be a problem with this, but I was told that it's just, it's not going to work. And he just said, I'm relaying the message to you, but he wouldn't tell me who told him that and who wouldn't allow this to happen. I don't know who it was. And to this day, that has never been revealed. But I can also tell that I've been to every athletic director since then. So I became disenchanted. I watched from afar. I would go to one or two football games a year. I would go to one or two basketball games a year, but I would never call the athletic department and ask for tickets. I would have somebody else do it because I'd always go with somebody else. They weren't directly just for me. It was a group of people. I asked Houlihan when he came in, you know, every athletic director since Todd Turner and since I've gotten out of, since I stopped playing in the NBA, I've addressed this issue and I've gotten the answer, the same answer from everybody. So a part of me even thought, well, maybe it's Todd Turner just doesn't want to do it. And then when I got the same answer for Houlihan, I was just like, okay, there's, there's a athletic director. David Williams told me the same thing. And I just didn't understand it. I just kind of walked away from it. I've washed my hands of it. And I've still to this day, watch from afar. Now I can honestly say I haven't been to a football game in two years because I just haven't been able to work it into my schedule. It's not that I've just like, you know, said I'm never going back to that university. I've been back to university plenty of times in the bookstore numerous times. I buy plenty of, of swag for uh, my son. I buy plenty of Vanderbilt swag for uh, my wife and her family. Um, it's not like I just, you know, separated myself from the university, but I just feel like that the athletic department is in their own special way is pushing me away. And what's really aggravated me is, is that they still reach out and ask for money all the time and they don't do it by phone, but it's always some type of fundraiser, join this, donate to that. And I'm just like, you know, I understand the need for money, but isn't my time and my name and what I could do for the university more valuable than that? 
but I just, I've honestly, you know, and in the numerous discussions I've had with friends, former athletes at Vanderbilt, majority of them feel like numbers. We've traded through the university. We've given our blood, sweat, and tears to that the athletic department. And once we graduate, we're now a number with an address with the hopes of, of a dollar sign being attached to it. And that's, that's just unfortunate. And if I would sit here and say, hey, I'm the only one that's a one-man cause, that's one thing. But it's just, there's hundreds, there's thousands. Take your pick. It is unfortunate because I grew up watching you. And I know how much good publicity you brought to the school. Um, I know your passion for Vanderbilt. I know what a great job you could do for them. And it's just mystifying as to why you keep running into brick walls. Although I suspect it has something to do with wanting to change things for the better, which always gets met with resistance when it comes to athletics, it seems. Yes. And, you know, that's where. I felt like it was time to, you know, when Malcolm took the job, he actually took the time to sit down with me this time last year as we enter the SEC tournament in Nashville. And we had lunch one day downtown. And I asked him, you know, I, I mean, I didn't hesitate. I said, hey, finally nice to meet you. We've talked on the phone numerous times. Let's get going. I know your time is limited. Let's move here. And he couldn't answer a lot of questions because he kept saying the same thing. I'm still diving into this thing. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to get through the layers. And he, and he said, I, I, there's a lot of things that I didn't know about that I'm now discovering that I'm having to totally change how I approach this. And I told him, I said, when we talked on the phone, I told you this was probably going to happen. And you know, I said, it's not that I'm no all tell all, but as I told you from afar, I constantly talk to people. I'm constantly, I don't want to say I'm in the know, but I want to know what's going on. I talk to those that I feel like have information. I feel like I talk to those that have knowledge that I don't. And I trust those that I talk to to give me the information and the knowledge. I try not to just fly off the handle and talk about things I don't know or just because I read something that doesn't necessarily make it true. And I know that the university doesn't like it. I know the athletic department doesn't like it, but at the end of the day, as a former athlete who still feels like he's in touch, but not on the inside until the university. And when I say university, I mean, you, whether you want to call it the academic side, however you want to talk, talk about it. Until the university decides that they are totally committed to athletics, regardless of who the athletic director is, regardless of it's the athletic director, an interim athletic director, this and these issues will always be at the forefront because they will never get solved. They will just, it's kind of like pushing you push it from one side of you, it happens, they throw you a little tidbit, but at the end of the day, Vanderbilt is in the SEC. We're not in the AAC. We're not in the OVC. We're in the SEC. And depending on who you ask, 
Some say it's the best conference in college. When you take football, basketball, men's and women's basketball, you take golf, you take tennis. I mean, the sports are endless. It, it quite might possibly with the network that is second only to the big 10 network, but that doesn't necessarily mean the actual conference is second to the big 10. That's just from a revenue standpoint. Are we in the out? And that's, that seems to be the ultimate question. And I think everybody that you talk to and the one thing that really spoke volumes to me, and I think it was, uh, was it Lipscomb? At the combine, when Pick asked me. about Vanderbilt, Pick yeah, Pinkney, thank you. At the combine, when asked about Vanderbilt, he he prefaced it by saying, "Hey, I have to be really careful here how I answer this question." But he basically hit it right on the head. They need to make winning more by priority. And every athlete that's ever been there sat up and said, hallelujah. Yeah, when the Patriots tell you that your answer to a question reveals a losing mentality, I think that's problematic. It is. And that's where I'm saying the athletic department to truly, excuse me, the, the university to really expect and allow the athletic department to be successful has to fully support the athletic department. And I'm not sure that there's a a, a person outside of the university, outside of the athletic department that would say, Oh yeah, they, they support athletics 100%. I think at the current moment, the only person or persons that you're going to get to make that statement is somebody that's currently employed by the university or somebody that is currently employed by the athletic department and will make that are the only people that will make that type of statement. Well, I talked to a source who knows such things last week and was told that the price tag that Malcolm Turner had put on everything that needed to be done was $800 million. Um, got confirmation on that from another source this week, and actually had another one tell me they thought it might be closer to a billion dollars. Whatever the case, it was a ton of money. And a lot of money that I don't think Vanderbilt, frankly, is comfortable with spending. That all leads to this. If Malcolm Turner doesn't push Vanderbilt as hard as he does, do you think he's still there? Oh, absolutely. But I also feel like, Van, but quite honestly, I thought Malcolm was doing exactly what he was told to do. Now, unfortunately, he was told to do that by a chancellor that was had one foot out the door. And let's be honest here. This wasn't uh, from a chancellor that voluntarily left. This was from a chancellor that was pushed out the door. Okay. So the university can say whatever they want. I've been told by solid, credible sources that regardless, however, this thing was, was spun to alumni and local media. And regardless of what Zeppo said publicly, he was pushed out the door. Why? Because he also saw the need to just not only did athletics need to spend money, but he also needed to spend money to upgrade dorm rooms and do things that were going to cost the university significant amounts of money. But I think the one thing, Chris, that we can all agree on is 
when you consistently just put band-aids on things and don't address the problem, you address the symptoms, but not the problem. This is what happens. And now all of a sudden you're playing catch up. And as we know, what's one of the biggest weaknesses that the athletic pro- the athletic department has one associating and affiliating itself with former athletes Two, fundraising. I'm not going to go any deeper than that. And let's just uh, hypothetically say $800 million. Probably everybody in the athletic department had to have smelling salts because they were like, oh, that's impossible after they woke up from passing out. But again, the, the football stadium, you constantly just you know, put duct tape on everything instead of addressing the problems years ago. I mean, it's the thing is when you look at everything involved, it's not just this, this just happened. This has been an issue for years. Okay. I would love to, I want to tap my, tip my cap to David Williams for having a $17 million slush fund. God rest his soul. But at the same time, that just kind of is indicative of he didn't spend enough money on the facilities at hand. But because he didn't spend enough money, he was allowed to build up a $17 million slush fund. And now we're going to try to play catch up in the SEC. Wow. You and I did not discuss the Zeppos angle. I will just say this. You're not the only person that has that theory. Uh, It is also been theorized lately that the athletics push uh, really might have escalated his way out as well. I can't prove it, but it's interesting that that talk has started to surface. Um, Well, there's a lot of questions to ask from here, but I, I think this is where I want to go well, next. Here, let me hold on sure. a second, Chris. Let me, let me interrupt you. Sure. This is, not, this is not something that's public, but people will learn about it now because it's after the fact. And I won't, I won't say the name of the other athletes, but myself, some former football players and former basketball players met with Zeppos soon after he stepped on campus as the, as the uh, chancellor and president of the university. Not when he was a, a law, law professor, but once he officially accepted and was in office as the chancellor. We had a meeting at the Vanderbilt Marriott years ago in a room, and I set up this meeting. Zeppos came over, and I specifically remember he was wearing jeans, a Vanderbilt ball cap, and he literally sat in a single chair in front of all of us. And I think there were seven or eight of us. And we sat down with him for two or three hours talking about our concerns with the athletic department, talking about our concerns about what, what was he going to do about it. Did he have the power to do anything about it? Would he be allowed to do anything about it? And he sold us a bill of goods. And I'm not saying that he sold us a false bill of goods, but he, he laid out a plan on what his hopes were to try to accomplish during his tenure at Vanderbilt with the athletic department. Problem is he didn't really accomplish many of those things. And I don't think it was, I don't think he was necessarily giving us a line of BS but I think he was getting a lot of pushback from other people because I still maintain 
communication with them infrequently, but at times in discussions about, remember when we had that discussion at the Vanderbilt Marriott? And he would always talk about, is you, the word you use, pushback. Disagreement. And I just want to know who is this entity, this voice, people, organization within Vanderbilt that has so much power that they push back on the chancellor, they push back on the athletic director of the, of the athletic department. Who are these people that prevent this growth? I know it's not as simple as just pointing your finger at one person, but you know, it's one thing when I have a meeting with the athletic director and he comes back to me and says, we can't get this done. And it's one athletic director after another, but it's another thing when you meet with the chancellor of the university, the person that you think is supposedly has the last say so on everything. And then he tells you he can't get it done because he's getting pushed back. Yeah. My understanding is it's a culture issue. Uh, that it's just this invisible force. I've associated with the Vanderbilt way people have taken issue with that, but I have no better explanation that it's just existed for so long and it's been empowered for so long that it just seems to be bigger than anyone who tries to get on its way. But that's the thing. We don't know what the Vanderbilt way is. I keep hearing this and that's the latest slogan, the Vanderbilt way. What is Vanderbilt? Well, I think we know what it's not. There has been success, yeah. successes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There has been successes within the athletic department, most notably Tim Corbin in baseball. But let's, let's be honest here. Tim Corbin, whether he wants to take credit for this or not, has been the sole reason that baseball has been successful. All right, he's the he's the second longest coach there, and let me and I, I I'm remiss because I've forgotten his name, but uh, the women's tennis coach has also been very successful, but he hasn't had the same amount of success from a facility standpoint as Corbin, and we can easily say, well, a lot of the women's tennis players haven't gone on and signed two hundred million dollar contracts and hundred million dollar contracts, and then first round draft picks and the number one pick in the draft and in the Seinfeld world, but he's taking the bunks among, he's taking it on his shoulders to be like, you know what, regardless of what people think about this university, regardless of the, the resistance that I'm getting from the athletic department, I'm going to find a way to get this done. And he's done it. Now, this is a debatable statement, but I think that there's a lot of people that will agree with this. Vanderbilt baseball is the number one, and I'll use the word organization, in college baseball right now. Would you agree or disagree with that? Oh, absolutely. So if he can do it, but yet find a way to do it on his own, I don't want to hear the athletic department tell me about, well, things are, things are different with basketball. And, you know, he found a way to get it done. He's provided a model. Now you can talk about 
David Price in a $217 million contract. You can talk about all the players, Sonny Gray, and I could go down the list and talk about all these guys that have been drafted and signed multi-million dollar contracts. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier when you have that at your uh, liking, when you have that at, at your fingertips. But it's not like it's just a couple guys have done it. I mean, he's also found other creative ways to make things happen. So it, it can be done. And that's why we all as former athletes hold out hope that it can be done. I mean, I, I watch what Virginia does. I watch what Duke does. I've seen this unbelievable facility for Northwestern. This thing is amazing. And yes, Vanderbilt does have a practice, indoor practice facility but I, I, I hear stories about how David Williams had to fight tooth and nail just to get that. But at the same time, I would describe it as a full facility because the end zones are tapered so they could put a track around it. And I just, and to, and to me, that's the definition of cutting corners. If you're going to do it, do it right. Don't do it half-ass. Will I have said... But I think the most important thing right now is not who the AD is or where that goes or facilities or anything. It is figuring out why athletics keeps running into a roadblock and how do you fix it. I think that if I were running the school, I would have an independent investigation done by people who ought to get at the bottom of things to rewind the last couple of years starting with David's departure to the AD search to why it went wrong with Malcolm uh, to where it's going now, to where they have issues with all the things we've talked about. Uh, would you agree with that? Would you disagree with it? And if you do agree with it, what would you do if you were the one in charge of getting to the bottom of all this culture problem and the whole thing that just happened with Turner? Well, the one thing I'll give uh, Candace credit for is that she talked about the need for transparency. She's absolutely right. But unfortunately, on one hand, she makes the statement about the need for transparency. But then on the other hand, the same day that this strategic plan is released, she holds a press conference and basically won't answer any questions and won't tell you the extent of where the strategic plan is going. So what kind of transparency is that? To answer your question specifically, I would, first and foremost, as you just pointed out, have an independent investigation. And let's be transparent. I understand it's a private university. But first and foremost, where is this SEC money going? What is this money from the SEC being spent on? If my numbers are correct. The check for the 2019 calendar year is going to be $43 million, is it not? Sounds right. So what is this money going to be allocated for? Where is it going? When Candace Lee w was on with George Plaster and did an interview, the only question she would ask that she directly answered was when George asked her, does all this money from the SEC go strictly to the athletic department? She said, yes. Okay. We as former athletes, 
the sidewalk fan. Where is this money going? Because it's obviously not going in, into the facilities. And we can continually talk about, you know, the success and, and no disrespect to the other sports. Uh, I, but to me, there's, I'm sure the coaches would disagree, but they're considered, I don't want to use the word minor because that's disrespectful, but they're considered other sports. But let's just say golf, successful, tennis, successful. But for uh, an athletic department to really stand on its own, which I don't think the Vanderbilt Athletic Department will ever be able to do, they really need support from the university. The football team needs to be relevant on a yearly basis. The basketball team, both men's and women's, needs to be relevant on a yearly basis. And like I say, I know there's that'll probably get a lot of pushback and disagreement from the athletic department, but I I believe that to be true because that's where you're going to get most of your revenue. And we need to start breaking down where money is going, what needs to be determined. And unfortunately for us, this strategic plan, which was then later described as the first phase, told us absolutely nothing. It was more of a mission statement than a strategic plan. It talked about the past. It didn't necessarily talk about the present or the future. And to me, that was just another black eye on the university because there was so much anticipation for this strategic plan. You, you, had an, you had an opportunity to excite the alumni and fan base. And you didn't do it. And what was the, what was the major response that people said? Uncle old Vanderbilt. He's kicking the rock down the street. Will, you have had some pretty unbelievable experiences in trying to get back to Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt Athletics. Tell us about those. Well, you know, I, I was, and I tell people this all the time. You know, I was very fortunate to go there. Um, I came in as a cocky freshman that uh, put up some gaudy numbers in high school, thought I was going to be able to do the same thing in Vanderbilt. And I learned quickly that a, I wasn't B I had a lot to learn and C my best attribute was not time management. <laughs> I'm not sure how many people want know this, but I literally, if it wasn't for coach Newton and his belief in me, his pushback on the academic department. If it wasn't for him, I probably would have, I probably would have flunked out or been kicked out. Cause after my freshman year, left point oh, I think it was a one eight because I didn't do the best with time management. I fully was invested in the, uh, student experience. And, uh, because there are an athletic dorms at Vanderbilt, I was uh, truly distracted by what I, I call the, the normal student. But needless to say, those next 18 months after my freshman year, I paid the price for having all that fun. <laughs> and, you know, CM Newton sat me down. And he's like, listen, 
you're going to summer school, you're going to both semesters, you're taking two classes each semester. Normally athletes go to summer school, but they take one class. So you get three hours in each semester of summer school. You pick up your six hours and that way you can average your 15 a semester to graduate on time. And you actually have more than the necessary time to keep you on campus. You also get to work out with the team. They kind of keep you in your protected in environment. But I had certain uh, expectations. I had to get, I had to do certain, I had to get certain grades. I had to get my GPA up. It was not fun, man. And it was tough. And I did just enough to allow CM Newton to convince the university to keep my scholarship. My GP a 2.0, but at the same time, CM still sat me down and said, this still isn't good enough. This isn't acceptable at Vanderbilt. We're going to redshirt you. We're going to give you an opportunity to, you know, get bigger, stronger. So I stepped on campus. I was 6'10", 195. So to say I was a beanpole would be an understatement. But he believed in me. Coach Bostic believed in me. And eventually Ed Martin, you know, took me under his wing and, you know, kind of had that, uh, as we like to say, coming to Jesus moment. And I buckled down. I, I learned about time management. I got my priorities straight. And, you know, I was very fortunate to have a really strong friends circle, not only teammates, but friends outside of the team that helped me out, you know, kind of propped me up a little bit. And we're still great friends to this day. When I come in, but in a couple weeks, we'll have dinner on uh, that Saturday night of the semifinals. And there could be as many as 20 of us getting together for dinner, depending on everybody's schedule and their kids' schedules and what's going on. So, you know, I honestly tell people all this all the time, whether it's Kevin Garnett, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, guys that didn't go to college just do not understand what they missed. It just, you can't, you, it, it's hard to put into words the things I learned the friends I made, the relationships, the bonds. It's just really hard to put in the words, all those things that I learned and was able to take with me from Vanderbilt. But let me also tell you this, Chris, one of the things that the athletic department is really pushing is student experience. But the thing that was the icing on the cake for me that really made my student experience so memorable was winning. I talked about the bonds I have with the friends to this day, the relationships I made, not only with the, the students that I went there with, but the fans that I still see to this day that are still alive. The relationship that I had with the coaches, you know, unfortunately, CM has passed passed away, but John Bostic is still alive. Mike Petroni is still alive. Unfortunately, Ed Martin has passed away. The relationships I had with them, uh, the administrators that are still around at the university, there's not a lot of them left. But just also the, the bond I had with the city. But the thing that really brought all that together was winning. Going to the Sweet 16, you know, winning games, developing that winning culture. I understand right now that they're talking about the student experience, but 
I can promise you now, the current athlete is no different than the former athlete. If you're walking home from the football stadium after a loss, if you're walking home from a Guggen late at night after a loss, the last thing on your mind is student experience. You're not concerned about what your fellow students are doing. You're not concerned about, hey, am I going to a fraternity party or, you know, am I invited to the sorority dance? You're thinking they're going, this sucks. Losing sucks. Nobody likes to lose. And if you're not tasting winning on a consistent basis, that hampers your student experience. It just does. I know the universities don't want to hear this. And when I say you everybody wants to talk about these people, they are because you do get, you do get an education if you choose to stay there for four years. And that education is valuable. But let's be honest. First and foremost, you go somewhere either for the coach, for the sport, or because you want to have an impact on that, that institution, but you also want to win. And a lot of these guys that come into Vanderbilt football, I truly believe, and some of the ones that I've talked to, feel difference. They can help change the culture. They feel like that maybe they can help the, the football team turn the corner. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen. But the fact that they haven't won really affects student experience. And that's why you're now hearing some former athletes speak up that they need to put more of a priority on winning to help enrich that student experience. Will, when you have tried to get back to mostly athletics, but also other areas of the school, what has happened as you've gone about that? Um, it hasn't been taken to very kindly because I don't want to do it their way. And I don't, I'm not trying to be dramatic or anything, but it's just telling people exactly what happened to me. You know, I get back into the NBA and I want to make, uh, you know, at the time, the, the biggest thing I could do because of time in the NBA is donate money. So I decided I would do that, but I would do it on my terms and I would donate it to what I want to do. And I remember one of the first donations I wanted to make was to the communication department, which is under the arts and science uh, umbrella. So I called and talked to them of the arts and science department about how I wanted to make a donation, but I wanted to market. I wanted to make sure that it would go to the communication department and their needs. I mean, they did, they did little things like a podium. I used to always joke with my, uh, my professor, Kassan Kafalchek that, you know, Hey, if you're going to do this right, you got to have a podium that fits seven foot people or at least somebody that's six, six. Cause right now, you know, you got a podium that maybe is, uh, appropriate for somebody that's six, two. And we used to always about that, you know, just, uh, they needed a video camera to help videotape, you know, all these speeches that students were giving in speech one Oh one. And, you know, we needed some, we needed this and we needed that. I mean, little things that didn't necessarily cost a lot of money, but just money that the communication department just didn't have didn't fit in their budget. So they made do. Um, and I was told that, uh, well, we can't necessarily promise to go directly to the communication department. 
And it's kind of like one of these gifs. I just remember it was almost like I was on the phone and I raised my hand like, okay, I'm out. And they're like, excuse me? I said, no, I'll take care of it myself. And they were like, what does that mean? I was like, I don't worry about it. I got it covered. I specifically remember being in the uh, Vanderbilt Holiday Inn parking lot on top of my uh, car. I wrote a check out from my personal account to Professor Kowalczyk. I gave him a personal check to him personally. He said, well, you're not going to get your tax deduction for this. I said, I don't care. I said, this is more about what you need. And I'm not saying I wrote him a check for like $50,000, $100,000. But I wrote him a check for a couple thousand dollars, a significant amount that he was going to be able to make significant changes to the things that they had in the communication department to make things better for the students. But I remember I, we were in the parking lot, the, the front parking lot in between the actual Holiday Inn and West End Avenue. And because of my height, I could just lean over on the, not the hood, but the, the roof of my car, wrote out a check to Professor Kowalczyk, wrote out the amount, ripped it out, and just handed it to him. And then I remember explaining to him why I was doing it this way, and he just kind of chuckled, and he just, I don't know exactly what he said, but it's something to the, to the extent of figures. He was very thankful. He hugged me, and I just explained to him that this is something that I want to do. You know, because he was one of the guys that stood behind me. He, he became my academic advisor. He understood the troubles that I, I went through when I was at Vanderbilt. He had, you know, it just, he was a, a professor at Vanderbilt that, you know, understood the struggles and the challenges that athletes face at that university. And he didn't do it for me, did just me. I mean, he did it for, I was told about him from, older uh athletes when i was a freshman you know i had juniors and seniors said hey you need to go talk to professor kowalczyk even if you don't become a communication major he'll 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 point you in the right direction he'll help you he'll give you honest answers and i passed that wisdom on to other other players most notably barry goheen became a communication major and then eventually went to vanderbilt law school and now is a very successful lawyer in in uh atlanta and Barry and I, at times, when we go back to Vanderbilt together, we'll, we'll sit down with Professor Kowalczyk and have a drink and, uh, you know, talk about the old days and just, you know, like most people do, tell stories, but also check on everybody and see how we're doing. But it was just, I couldn't believe that I had to take that. And then the same thing with the athletic department. I had to basically identify what some of the needs were outside of the administrators and talk to some of the individuals, you know, on the ground level, be like, Hey, what do you guys need in the sports medicine department? And they told me, and again, wrote a specific check so they could buy a, a piece of machinery for the sports medicine department. Hmm. To prevent injuries because the same thing, Hey, just donate it to the athletic, to the athletic department and we'll take care of it. Well, needless to say, I didn't necessarily trust, them taking care of it. Now, to be transparent, I can tell you right now, I have given money to the university in a long time. So if the university wants to step up and say, hey, you haven't been a good alumni and you haven't supported us like we would like you to, I would tell, my answer would be, hey, 
the problem is the only support you want for me and all the other alumni is just money. We all would love to be in the fold of the university. And there's, there's a lot of alumni that are, but there's a majority of the athletic alumni that are not. And unfortunately they're, they're not playing to the majority and that's where things need to change. Will, our time is almost up, but do you have time for a quick basketball question or two regarding your career? Uh, yeah, but before you ask that question, let me make sure that this is very clear. You know, I, I when you and I talked about doing this podcast, I didn't expect to go down this road to the severity that we have. You know, I expected to mention a couple things that I thought needed to be changed. But I want to make sure that people that listen to this podcast and, and hopefully listen to the whole podcast is that this is, this is a podcast coming from a former athlete that hopes and prays on a daily basis that the university and the athletic department somehow figure this out. The former students deserve it. The current students that are there deserve it. And the future student athletes that come there deserve it. If you to enhance the student experience, you have to provide not only a winning culture, but you have to provide the resources. And I'm not just talking about facility, but the resources to the coaches to help these athletes truly have an honest chance to win. And let me be very clear. We're in the SEC. I get it. I'm not saying that Vanderbilt needs to be able to compete with Alabama on a yearly basis. Alabama needs to be able to compete with Georgia on a yearly basis. Vanderbilt needs to be able to compete with LSU on a yearly basis. When I make this statement, I'm generalizing, but I'm mostly talking about football because that's where the, that's where we make our most money outside of that big check from the SEC every year, or that's where we should be our most money. I'm talking about we should be able to compete on a regular basis with Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Kentucky, um, Florida. I know some people may balk at that, but Florida's not what they used to be. Uh, Missouri, Arkansas. We should be able to do that on a yearly basis. I truly believe that. And let me just point something out here. Real quick, because... One thing I did do, Candace revealed the strategic plan. I went back and I looked at Kentucky's strategic plan from 2008. I looked at North Carolina's strategic plan. I don't have the exact year. I looked at Rice's strategic plan, don't have the exact year. And the one thing they all provided was a concrete list of plans, benchmarks, they gave you a list of things that you could evaluate the progress that's being made in the athletic department. And the one thing that jumped out at me, this is in 2008. One of the things they put in their strategic plan was improve ranking in the SEC from 11th out of 12 universities for annual fundraising. So they were willing to admit where they stood in fundraising aspects of all the universities in the SEC. 
I don't even need to do my homework. I know who the 12th was. And that was in 2008. And here we are in 2020. And my, my question to you is, do we have any, any doubts about who that 12th team is or not? How many teams? I don't even know. How many teams in the FCC now? 14? 14 now, yes. Do we have any team is as far as fundraising goes? Yeah, I don't think there's much doubt. Okay. Now, the last thing is my rant is that really bothered me about this strategic plan. And I understand what Candace is saying. It's phase one. Okay, so how many phases are there of this strategic plan? How long is this going to take? But the thing that really bothered me, and I actually wrote this down. There are some pieces, and this is, I'm reading what I wrote, okay? There are some really blaring missing pieces in this strategic plan. Does Vanderbilt see itself as a vital part of the Southeastern Conference or as an outsider? There's no mention of trying to win an SEC championship or compete with peer institutions. There's no mention of the Southeastern Conference in the strategic plan except for using the tagline, the degree, the city, the SEC. The Southeastern Conference is a major selling point for success at Vanderbilt and must be used in a way that benefits the long-term success of the program. There's some belief out there. I don't know if I truly believe it, but there's some belief out there that other members of the SEC want Vanderbilt out. Don't give them more reasons by not embracing the SEC. To best serve the Vanderbilt community, the department needs to have success. And when I say department, I mean the athletic department. Serving the campus community is, well, I wrote that incorrectly, and I apologize for stuttering here, but I kind of got ahead of myself. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that the university, and what's the use of building this beautiful front porch if you put up a big wall in front of it and nobody can see it? To be that front porch, you need to win or provide a great product and produce great student athletes, not just have an athletic department because it's required to have an athletic department in college. All right. There were no mentions of metrics for winning championships. Are the goals that every athlete is positioned, are they positioned to win an SEC title during their time at Vanderbilt? Are the coaches given the necessary resources to help these athletes realistically win an SEC championship? It may not be ever may not be realistic to say that the football team's ever going to win an SEC championship, but are they at least put in a position with the facilities and the necessary things provided to the coaches to allow that to happen? And then you put the onus on the coaches to be able to recruit the necessary athletes to make this happen. Metrics are absent in the plan after the opening page talks about it. So now. Unfortunately, I'm no longer anxiously awaiting for the next step because we were so anxiously awaiting for this first step. Well, and it just didn't happen. We had an opportunity. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry. This is where the 
the uh, connection went bad and I didn't mean to cut you off. Let me let you finish your thought and then I'll add mine. No, I mean, that's pretty much it. Go ahead. Well, one thing I've noticed, and first of all, you are far from the first former player coach that I've had these conversations with. Uh, This one is just much more public, which I think is what's needed. But I've just noticed, I've started sort of sounding the alarm on some of this about six years ago. And at first, it was kind of met with unanimous uh, pushback. And now I think a lot more people have figured this out. um, And a lot more people are on to them. But there still is such a defense mechanism in place to kind of push back against people who criticize and take issue with things and call them names and things like that. How does Fandible ever get past that? Why can't they just listen? Because that's not the Vanderbilt way. And Chris, what I, what I don't know is, like I said, from David Williams to Houlihan to Turner to Malcolm Turner, I feel like these guys have always come in with a plan, but somehow they've had to divert from the plan because of what they're, what they were originally promised. And then once they get there, what they realize they have the ability to do. So where is the pushback? Where is the disconnect? Who is it? Is it a group of people? Is it an individual? Why can we not get this done? And I, I know it's not as simple as just standing up and slamming your fist down and being, all right, I'm going to get this done. I don't, I don't disagree. I, I, I fully believe because of her relationship with Vanderbilt, because she went to, she played basketball there. She's got all her degrees from there. I fully believe that Candace wants to do the right thing. But I just don't believe she's going to be given the resources and when I say resources, I'm not just talking about money, but other resources to actually make this happen. And I just don't know if we're ever going to see the, 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 the necessary change. And the last thing I'll throw out there before we get off this subject and just talk about my tenure as a basketball player. I was honored to be uh, inducted into the Vanderbilt Hall of Fame. And I know I wrinkled a few feathers when I gave my acceptance speech. And honestly, I can't even remember off the top of my head what year I was inducted. But I remember David Williams was the one that handed me the the trophy, the anchor, which I proudly um, have displayed in my house. Because that, that means a lot to me. But I remember part of my speech was, and it wasn't necessarily an acceptance speech. It was, hey, thank you very much. But let's talk about the future. We're currently at the Y in the road. Do we go to the right and stay where we are? And kind of like flatline, we get some things done. We stay somewhat relevant. But yet, somebody lies to us and tells you that we're being successful or do we make the hard turn to the left 
and we decide that we're going to improve by leaps and bounds. And we're going to make a difference and truly become successful. And not only do the people within the department say you're successful, but other universities have to step up and admit you're successful. And I think we kind of know which way the university elected to go. I didn't expect to have a huge impact, but I at least wanted to make my, my thoughts known. How many former athletes like you still care to the degree that you do? Or let me even rephrase that. Not just answer that part, but how many would care if they took some right steps to getting this right? Thousands. I run into former Vanderbilt football players. I'm 54 that are in their 70s that would love to receive a call from the athletic department and not just a call to donate money, but a, a call to say, Hey, we want to invite you back into the fold. We want to thank you for your time here. We want to show you how important we really think you are. Even though that they'll, they'll readily admit that they haven't had contact with Vanderbilt in 25 years. They haven't been to a football game. They haven't been to a basketball game, but they still secretly watch on TV. They still secretly watch on the SEC network. And they so desired that reconnection with the university. They still have the connection with their former teammates. But unfortunately, those, those conversations consist of a lot of bitching and moaning. if somebody from the athletic department picked up the phone and called these people directly, and that's a lot of phone calls, I get it. But all you got to do is start the ball rolling in the right way. I think that the athletic department would be stunned by the response that they would get. Now that response would be with, with a lot of skepticism, but there would be a response that they would want hope this would be a sign that things are going to be different. Well, let me get a couple of basketball questions and then I'll get you out of here if that's cool. Yes, sir. Today's mailbag is sponsored by Mark Jen of Simply a Fan. Mark organizes road trips to sporting events across the country and is doing so for several Vanderbilt baseball road series this year. Go to simplyafan.com to get more information. Tell me you heard about it on the podcast. Papa Hick 4VU asks, what is your favorite memory on the court as a Vanderbilt player and also the same as an NBA player? Um, my favorite memory um, as a Vanderbilt player was when um, we beat North Carolina. And um, it's just because of it was North Carolina. Even though they were coming into Memorial Gym, we weren't supposed to beat them. This is North This is college basketball. You know? And we beat them and the student section stormed the court and we were all celebrating with, with uh you know, football players, baseball players, 
that was that was the other thing that made my time at Vanderbilt so memorable. I mean, I remember going to football games, supporting the football team. I remember going to bat, uh, baseball games, supporting the baseball team, even though, the, you know, quite honestly, as the basketball program, we were the most successful men's program at the university at the time. And it wasn't like we were winning championships, but we were winning games, but we were at all the football games. We were at all the baseball at, and then just being able to, after we beat North Carolina, you know, running around. And I mean, we, they stormed the floor. It wasn't like it was just a few and we were running around. I mean, we were packed on the floor like sardines, jumping up and down like kids celebrating a huge victory, but there's a baseball player to my left. There's a football player to my right. You know, there's a women's basketball player in the middle. I mean, just being able to share that with all the other athletes, you know, and, and, and um, it was just cemented my student experience. That that was the icing on the cake, the actual experiences of winning, but not only winning for me, winning for my teammates, but winning for the other athletes and then having them, you know, enjoy that experience and, and be there for us with us. Uh, as far as the NBA goes, same question. Um, winning that first championship in 91 against the Lakers. Listen, I had, it was only my uh, third year in the league. You know, and I'm playing with veteran players like John Paxson, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, guys that had been in the league for a while and hadn't won a championship. And it hit me just how important to see grown men cry. Michael Jordan, never seen that picture of him hugging the trophy and him just bawling. His dad's in the photo. But Bill Cartwright weeping, John Paxson, you know, just grown men, guys that have families. And just, you not only look at them as a, as a teammate and an athlete, but as, you know, a father. Just, just weeping in joy because we had just won the championship. And I was just like, wow. I mean, I was blown away by the emotion that these air quotes warriors showed because, you know, that's, you didn't show emotions back then. You know, it was just, you know, you're just hard ass athletes that, you know, were grinding away. And I just remember that whole thing. And my parents were there and, you know, I didn't play a lot at that time because I was still trying to figure out the league, but it was just that whole experience was just, you know, something I remember to this day. Mr. Fandy asked, would you go back and tell us how you were feeling during the last few minutes of the pit game during the NCAA tournament? Now, if I remember, you had fouled out of that one in regulation. Is that correct? Yeah, I was devastated because, you know, I can't sit here and say, hey, if I wouldn't have fouled out, we would have won anyways. We don't know that. I'm not brash enough to make that statement. But just thought about, you know, this, this, this is not how I want to end my career. Fouling out of a game and kind of basically leaving my teammates to fend for themselves. And I just remember just everything at that point, you know, in the, from the time that the official blew the whistle to the time that I actually made it over to the bench is like in slow motion. And I was just, it's, it's almost like you were conscious, but you weren't 
uh, register exactly what was going on. I mean, literally, it's almost like one of those things you see in the in the movies where a guy is just kind of looking around and people are talking to you, but it's not registering. All the noise in the stadium has gone gone deaf. You know, the vision is blurry. Uh, I'm being a little dramatic, but it was just like that. I just remember thinking, this is just this is not going to end well. And I. Right, that's for the record, Cash. To be my last memory with a Vanderbilt uniform on, but lo and behold, it wasn't. How did Barry Goheen do it time and time again? I don't know. We still have not figured that out yet, because we used <laughs> to always joke. You know, Barry Goheen did, obviously did very well in school. He was not academically challenged like some of us figured it out academically from day one. Barry Goheen would spend his summers back in Kentucky. We used to always joke that Barry Goheen's form of uh, athletic involvement in his, playing softball on his, on his friends' teams uh, back in Western Kentucky. And so, but he just, he just had a knack. He had a flair for the dramatic. And um, I really can't answer it. But uh, as you just said, he did it time and time again. And then, I mean, that's still, we still talk about it all the time. About it. It's just, you know, I think it was the Tennessee game where he actually fell down on both knees, maintained his dribble, still got back up and hit the shot. All right. Last one. And my audience would kill me if I did not ask you this one. This also from Bighorn Sheep <laughs> says, down by two, game on the line, you have a chance for a last-second three-pointer to win or lose. You have two choices. Pick the shooter. Those choices are Michael Jordan or Barry Goheen. Who do you take? Well, let me put it this way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bow out in a very graceful way. I'm going to say, if you want somebody to shoot the college three, I'm going to go with Barry Goheen. You want somebody to shoot an NBA three? I'm going to go with Michael Jordan. Listen, they both proven they can hit game-winning shot. Levels. So you would probably have to lean more towards Michael. As good as Barry was, I'm pretty sure he'll, he'll still give me a pass when I have a tendency to lean more towards Michael than I do Barry. That is the closest you've come to ducking a question all day. friend. I'll actually be uh, heading down to Atlanta for the Final Four. My wife and I will be staying with him and Margie, and he's always been the gracious host. So, you know, I don't want him to get too aggravated with me and tell me I need to find a hotel room because at that point, I don't know if I want to pay the outrageous prices during the Final Four. Hey, n- absolutely no judgment there. And I, I think your answer actually was the right one because I don't know how you could pick against Barry Goheen, and I also don't know how you could pick against Michael Jordan. So, uh, that, that seems to be the correct answer, even though I give you a hard time for it. Will, I hope to see you at the SEC tournament next week. I know you are going to be all over the airwaves. Tell people where they can follow you on social media, where they can find your work, anything like that that you'd care to promote. Well, uh, I'm on Twitter because of my business, and that is uh, broadcasting. And uh, my handle on Twitter is... Uh, Will underscore Purdue 32. 
Um, and you can listen to me on Westwood One Radio, and boom, you can find all those games on TuneIn, the national games. And then you can also find it on Westwood One Sports. You can stream it. Um, there's a multitude of platforms in order to find it, and especially during um, the NCAA tournament. We have all the national rights. Schools can't even stream their games during the uh, NCAA tournament because the amount of money that Westwood One pays to have exclusive rights for those games. So they'll be all over XM. They'll be all over the, the local airwaves. I think over 300 channels will pick up the NCAA tournament on a daily basis. And all those games also have exclusive channels on Sirius XM, but they're not determined until the day of the game. Hey, Will, thank you so much for your time. Hopefully we can do this again one day. Well, I hope that we can do it again one day, and we can also look back on this and talk about how maybe this was something that was just the tip of the iceberg that started a change, not only at Vanderbilt, but in the culture of the athletic department. Man, I, I sure hope so. Hey, thank you for your time. You've been a great guest. Well, thank you, and I also want to say thank you to all the Vanderbilt fans that I actually follow on Twitter because they help keep me up to date on what's going on with baseball, football, basketball, tennis, golf, soccer. Um, you know, without them, I wouldn't be able to follow as closely and I'd have to spend a lot of time on the internet trying to do it. But with Twitter, it's, it's a great tool to help do that. And I appreciate those fans. And I specifically appreciate the fans that take the time to stop me whether I'm uh, on West End Avenue, whether I'm in the Nashville airport, uh, wherever we, I am around the country, and just stop and say, hey, Vanderbilt, class of whatever, you know, enjoyed watching you, whether they were there when I was there or not, or whether they watched them. It's always a cool thing because you just feel like, hey, I understand it was a form of entertainment, but at the same time, I feel like I've made a difference in that person's life one way or another. Yeah, that's, that's the truth uh, because I know – the fan base, and I know you guys do make a difference. I hope you made one with this podcast today. Uh, Will Purdue has joined us. He, of course, was a former Commodore basketball great. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening. We'll have more episodes coming your way later this week.